You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, the UFC squeezed in some fights over the weekend in between uh, Post Malone Jägermeister commercials. Did you see this? I mean, I I want to hate on it, and yet I have to respect that Jägermeister seems to understand their audience. You know? Yeah. It's, you, you and I, we have aged out, perhaps, of the Jägermeister demographic, but we remember what it was like to be in that demographic. Yeah, we remember what it was like to come in the club and make the exact face Post Malone makes in that commercial when he shows up. I mean, he's doing the dangerous Knights crew face, you know, <laughs> that's the that's the exact face of Tim Robinson walking in as a real piece of shit to order some sloppy steaks, yep. except he's they're doing it unironically, it seems just dripping with sincerity. Hey, we're kicking open the doors of the club and you know what we came for. We came for that Jägermeister because we're classy. I mean, if you're post Malone, don't you kind of got to be looking over your shoulder like, how long are they going to let me keep doing this? Right? I think you've got to be looking at the bank account going, let's get that Jägermeister money while we can. I, I also think that I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because Post Malone falls in that category of where I'm like, I know this is a guy. I've probably heard the music of this guy. I, I didn't know it at the time. Probably couldn't tell you anything. Any, couldn't name a song by the guy. And yet, that's a guy. That is 100% a guy. That's what I know. 26-year-old Syracuse, New York native, Austin Richard Post. I think he's got to be looking over his shoulder, man. He's got to know, right? That at some point, we're pulling the plug on Post Malone. (laughs) I mean, that's why you get the Jägermeister money while you can. I guess so. I I hope he's saving that. I hope he's making some, uh, some good investments with the Jägermeister money. I mean, does that mean you don't want to meet me out at the club tonight for just a, you know, just a, let, let's have a Jägermeister or two, talk about our stock portfolios? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, just for one or two. Hour, just just, a, just a, one or two Jägermeisters. Why not? Yeah. Like like a post-work Jägermeister. That's that's just a completely legit thing to do, right? Well, you know, I do uh, have a little bit of a cold, so maybe for medicinal purposes, go. a little bit of it Jägermeister. It does taste like medicine. So Set me straight. I see no no flaws in this plan whatsoever. <laughs> Reminder, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and like us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to go check us out over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben and I are over there all week. Three different podcasts we have for the beloved patrons of the co-main event. We got uh, the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday uh, doing the damn thing, and the Friday power hour. It's a lot of fun. We think you will like it. You should check us out. 
over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. We got music this week from old school CME fan Kyle Kelly Yoner. He also happens to be a drummer. Uh, He's got a solo project out. It's an EP of instrumental tracks, mostly drums and synth. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can find the rest of the EP over at his website, kyleky.com, or follow him at kylekydrums on the grams. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Sean Strickland is a psychopathic killer who will very gently and almost imperceptibly beat you by decision in a mixed martial arts fight. That seems like a problem. And in round number two, Israel Adesanya and Bobby Knuckles are about to do it again. Brother, is there any reason to believe this time will be different? And in round number three, Tai Tuivasa accepted the Derek Lewis fight when he was drunk at 4.30 a.m. And that's not even a joke. That's that's just how we're doing business these days. On the piss. On the piss. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do at this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is, among other things, the fastest VPN in the world. Ben, I know you spent the weekend messing around a little bit with NordVPN, getting acquainted with it. How did it go for you, man? What'd you find? Well, the good people at NordVPN were were fine enough to offer us, as, as part of this sponsorship package, a complimentary year subscription. You know I have messed around with some VPNs in my day. You're a nor- you're a you're a VPN vet as far as I can tell. If you're a discerning viewer of online content, there are times where it behooves you to have a VPN. People know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you want to see stuff not available in your geographic area or for whatever reason you would like to make use of a VPN while you're searching out your favorite content online. I've tried different VPNs, some cut rate VPNs where it kind of defeated the purposes, didn't really work out for me. So the first thing I did when NordVPN let me sign up for a, a free membership here was to go and check out how how are my streaming experiences. And I'll tell you what, they were fantastic. Oh. No, no complaints here. Also, uh, offers me a, a peace of mind as I am engaging in various internet commerce. I don't know if you've had the experience of having your credit card company call you up and tell you that it seems like you signed up for a website you didn't sign up for or tried mm-hmm. to purchase some items from a Walgreens in North Carolina, and yep. you went, hold on, what? Now, this gives me the added peace of mind that uh, they're looking out for my online security in several different ways, and... I can get my streams. I can get my stream on. Maybe even change my whole program when it comes to how I consume the games of my beloved Seattle Krakens. Hmm. Interesting. Two thumbs up from my NordVPN experience so far. I I have not gotten the chance to dink around with it yet, but I'm excited to do that. going to try it out this week. Everybody should give it a try. If you want to, head on over to nordvpn.com slash co-main. That's one word. Co-main. To get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount, nordvpn.com slash co-main. If you're prompted, use the code co-main, C-O-M-A-I-N, co-main. That's one word. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from at pissed off lawyer. Nice. 
a known a known guy to us over there yeah. on the Twitters. You know what? And honestly, though, he doesn't seem that pissed off. No, he seems like a good dude. Yeah, but, he seems uh, quite reasonable. Maybe that's just because we haven't pissed him off yet. Do you think well, that's... Did I just piss him off? God, I hope not. He writes, Nick Maximov, not one of my guys based on both performance and post-fight interview, question mark, question mark, question mark, discuss. Uh, Diaz protege, Ben Folks, Nick Maximov goes out there in the, this is the co-main event of this event, middleweight fight against Punahaley Soriano, salts away a split decision win. And that's the best way I can say it is that he, he secured this one, secured this victory with his wrestling and his takedowns salts away this victory over Puna Hale Soriano. I believe he stays undefeated, did Nick Maximoff. Uh, it was a little bit weird, I have to admit, seeing uh, the big homie Nate Diaz out there cage side pumping his fists, being like, yeah, good win. Good win from my guy Nick Maximoff, who went out there uh, with a very wrestling-heavy performance and swiped this one away from Puna Soriano. First of all, if you did not know that he was a Diaz protege, all you needed was the post-fight interview. Yeah, it seems like he's picked up some mannerisms down there at the Nick <laughs> yes. Diaz Academy. Yeah, it's a very Diaz-reminiscent interview just in terms of tone and demeanor. And you like almost seemed like somebody doing a Diaz brother impression. And you went like, okay, yeah, I believe that this guy spends a lot of time with the Diaz bros. I 100% believe that. Is what you're saying about seeing Nate Diaz respond positively to a guy out here being one of these wrestlers, are you saying that maybe sometimes it's not so much about what you, your core beliefs in terms of what you think makes a good fight or not, but sometimes it's just you just want your friends to win? By any means necessary. Sometimes maybe things that you would hate if somebody else was doing it. You love it when it's your homie. Yeah, I guess maybe uh, one of the things that that matters how you're going to view a stylistic win is who's doing it. Yeah. Is it somebody on the team or is it a foe? Because if it's a foe, you might have some things to say about the stylistic choices made. But if it's one of your guys, pump the fist, man. Pump the fist because it's all right. I mean, haven't we all been there, though? Haven't you sat there and watched somebody who fought with a game plan or a strategy that if it was being used against your favorite fighter, you would declare it some bullshit? And then if it was somebody who you liked doing it, especially if they were defeating somebody who you didn't like, you were like, well, that's just a smart strategic performance. I mean, I have a feeling that coming up in round number one, when we start talking about Sean Strickland, we're going to get pretty deep into a stylistic choices discussion. Okay. In general, I'm not the kind of guy who holds a grudge or wants to tell professional fighters how to how to win their MMA fights. It's one of the cool things about this sport is that everybody comes at it uh, from different points of view with different philosophies and different ways of getting things done. That is, in essence, what mixed martial arts is. So I've always thought it was a little bit uh, weird when people... Uh, poo poo a certain brand of fighting you know it's like they don't they don't like the mixed part of the mixed martial arts they just want to mm -hmm. see some striking there are instances where i believe and this is what we're going to talk about i think with sean strickland where maybe some of the other stuff that you bring to the table calls your fighting style into question uh with nick maximoff man 
It's fine with me if he wants to go out there and get it done this way against Puna Soriano. Did he bust one of my parlays over the weekend? Hell yeah, he did. But I'm not mad at the kid for how he chose to go out there and do it. When I say kid, by the way, I mean it. 24 years old, Nick Maximoff. <laughs> Young, even, even by UFC standards. What I'm saying is it's the Diaz brothers who have often or at times during their careers reacted perhaps negatively to certain styles of fighting so it's a little jarring to see them out there cheering those same styles on when it happens to be their guy doing it yeah and yet uh, i mean who who out there do you think in that same situation would be like i feel like it was bullshit the way my friend won this fight and i just (laughs) want everybody to know right also i mean if it was you i would do it i would be like (laughs) he he fought like a total coward Point fighter, point fighting ass Ben Folks out there. This Lay was also all kind day. of a, a strange choice for a co-main event here. If if we're even putting that kind of thought into these fight night events that are a lot of times just some fights. I don't know if we're just putting the names in a hat and just drawing them out and seeing what order they come out in. Or if the UFC was just expecting a very different kind of fight because... For co-main event status, this one ended up sort of slowing down the night right after a big finish by the Nomad, Yeah, which I, I think mean, we'll discuss here coming up. Yeah, well, you could have flipped these two fights a little bit, not only uh, just based on how they turned out, which, of course, you can't know when you make the card, but just uh, in terms of interest, you got Shavkat Rachmanov out there uh, getting a big win. I'm just going to here. We'll just go on to the next one here from Darling Dan Dieterson. Uh, or as I like to call him, Triple D. He writes in, spare some words for the big homie Shavkat Rachmanov, who feels like he has come out of nowhere to become a surefire or a sure bet future champion. Now, this I agree with this. Like There was there was a fair amount of, of Shavkat Rachmanov hype out there on the internet this week, and it did kind of feel like leading up to this fight, he kind of came out of nowhere. Then he goes out there, uh, hurts Carlston Harris, uh, first with a, a spinning kick to the body and then a punch. And then a couple minutes after that hits him with the spinning hook kick to the head, finishes him with some nasty ground and pound four minutes, 10 seconds into the first round. So gets the statement victory that is required or is, is needed to boost that hype after uh, getting some play this week on the social medias and moves to 15 and Oh, I mean, you got to like everything that the Nomad is doing out there, don't you? I'm just going to say it. That boy good. Yeah, he's good. That boy good, Chad. He, I mean, we could say come out of nowhere, but it's like, you know, he was an M1 champion and then uh, beat Cowboy Oliveira in his UFC debut. So uh, and he's, he's finishing people left and right. He's big, like tall, rangy for the weight class and just looks so goddamn comfortable. Yeah. You know, he, he he looks like he's got no concerns at all there. I was this is you were talking about somebody busting your parlay. This one busted my uh bet that it would go at least a round and a half. Oh, and that's you right. know, we got out to a kind of uh, you know, not slow paced, but not particularly urgent start. And so I was feeling pretty good. Uh, little did I know that was just the process of the nomad figuring out where the 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 holes in the armor were. Yeah. And he he really just seemed completely unconcerned, which initially translated to me as, yeah, he's going to take his time. 
Let's let's not rush anything, Shafkat. Let's take this one easy. But no, as soon as he figured out, like, okay, I got this guy. And you could tell he was starting to get through, landing some, and he was hurting him. You could tell that Carlson Harris is not liking it. And when he felt like, okay, I know where he's going to be, then he started opening up with the spinning attacks and landed that, like, didn't even land it completely clean, that spinning, like, hook kick where he lands it sort of like a heel behind the guy's guard and he gets more with the, like, the ankle uh, than the actual heel, but still it's enough to put him down and then just right on top of him doesn't rush anything, but once he gets through and starts, just needs a couple of right hands there to land clean on the chin and that's it. I mean, and, and he just seems so calm the entire time. That's a dude who I think a lot of people in the welterweight division are not going to be signing up to fight anytime soon because still, you know, I don't know if he has a ton of name recognition yet um, outside the the hardcore bubble, but he is dangerous. Yeah. And you you, you got to have a good game plan to go in there and fight that guy. This is his third win in the UFC and his first time on a main card. So maybe that's what darling Dan Dieterson means by he had come out of nowhere. The other two fights had been preliminary affairs. Before you put your bet down, did you look and see that Shavkat Rachmanov was 15-0 and with all stoppages and that he had only been to the second round six times in his career? I did. I did. I just, I, I felt like the, when I was looking around for bets, the making it to a round and a half didn't seem that difficult. And it was one of the only ways that I could bet on his fight and not get terrible odds from our sport bet Montana app. So even that, even betting that it would finish in or that it would take over a round and a half still didn't get me plus money. It was still like, it was like minus minus one sixteen or something. Now we know why. Yeah. Now we do. Made a fool out of you. Uh, well, ne- next question. On. This hold next on. question this week comes to us from John Tiller over on Patreon. He writes, did you see Bruce Buffer doing the intros for the main event on Saturday? I quite like his intensity on big shows like Madison Square Garden, but can we get things in proportion here? <laughs> Getting so close and screaming nose to nose with the fighter at an apex show seems a little ridiculous. Maybe he fell under the magical spell of Norwegian beauty singing and dancing announcer in trance and Jack Hermanson. I don't know, but the whole thing feels a little over the top when there's no crowd. Yes, this whole question was so I could do that joke with Jacker Manson's name. Discourse. Well, uh, okay. You know how I feel about a about an announcer, about an, a, a PA, a public address announcer. I, I, I'm tempted to say that seen and not heard is what I like, even though that doesn't necessarily make sense. That's, Obviously, you got to you, you got to be able to hear the announcer. But uh uh, huh. I like a guy who's just going to go out there and handle his business, man. That's why you're you know, a Joe Martinez guy. I'm a I'm an absolute Joe Martinez stan. I don't need the jumping, the spinning, the getting in the face, the fist bumping, all this other stuff. I don't need it. I don't need it, man. I don't need the uh, the ring announcer going on his podcast telling the heavyweight champ that he shouldn't hold out for more money, that he'll become irrelevant if he leaves the UFC. I don't need it. I need the ring announcer to be the ring announcer. I don't need anything else. I also felt like when he was doing this eyeball to eyeball thing with Jack Hermanson during the intro, it it makes me uncomfortable. The prolonged eye contact really makes me uncomfortable. But you know what? Fighters seem to love it. And my take on it was, hey, I guess they're not hurting anybody. 
fighters, especially the ones who who dig that that interaction with Bruce Buffer before the fight, they really dig it. As you can see from Jack Hermanson, gets them really fired up. They love that shit, man. They love them some Bruce Buffer. And you know what? If they like it, they enjoy it. I can sit through the the uncomfortableness of two men just staring at each other while one of them shouts the other's name and and stats at the top of his lungs until it looks like his head's about to explode. I can I, mean, I yeah, can deal I, with that. I think it's a little weird. But you know what? If I you would, guys like it, okay. I guess I would hope he clears it with the fighter first. I'm I I, I, I hope that he goes to Jack Hermanson and he says, Jack, I got something cooked up. <laughs> Don't you think that here's he's, what I'm thinking? I think he's reading the moment. I think like Bruce is like if you are gonna stare at Bruce and like act like it's just the two of you together in this room, then he's gonna he'll he'll come over there and he'll he'll give it right back to you. But if you're going to be like, you know, doing the thing where you're looking down at the floor, you're pacing there with your team, you're drinking the water, you know, pouring a little for your feet to step on, uh, you know, you're slapping yourself in the face. If you're off doing your own thing, he's going to let you do your own thing. He's not going to get in your face and make you stare into his eyes for the entirety of the introduction. But if that's what you want, he, he, he will be there for it. He will give it right back. If I'm Jack Hermanson and I lose this fight at the post-fight press conference, I'm, I'm like, Bruce Buffer. Got in my head. He psyched me out, man. I couldn't forget about it. He's staring right in my eyes. I couldn't think about anything else. I was frozen. <laughs> I was lost in like his a eyes. Deer in headlights. Yeah. I mean, come on. You could tell Jack Hermanson loved that shit. He ate that up. He better. Man. He was he getting better. super fired up. Bruce Bruce Buffer gonna get himself a knuckle sandwich. He goes over there and does that to the wrong guy. <laughs> I think at this point, Bruce Buffer knows who who wants to be in that moment with him. And who would rather just do their own thing and wait till he's done? Next question this week comes to comes to us from longtime CME emailer Farron Hankinson. I believe this one came in under the subject line "Reformed Shit Eating Wild Man." Okay. Uh, and so he writes, my guys, what gives, I miss the days of, of, of obsessing over MMA events, being able to nearly memorize every UFC card from Rashad figuratively drinking Machida's piss at UFC 98 Whoa. to a lackluster draw between BJ Penn and John Fitch at UFC 127. I made an attempt this past weekend. And after seeing the weirdness that is Sean Strickland, I thought I could make it through the entire card. Unfortunately, somewhere between a Jason Witt whom loss and uh, Hakeem Duwadu, uh, what's my age again, win. I couldn't even make it to witness another Sam Alvey loss. My question for you gentlemen is, has this affected the way you cover the sport? It has to be hard to get pumped to cover a Brian Battle, Treshawn Gore fight, right? Or am I off base here? Please discourse at your leisure. Uh, now, the, obviously, the people who listen to the show know this is something we've talked about a lot. We've talked about this tr- uh, from oversaturation to the transition to the hashtag just some fights era. We have talked a lot about the UFC's changing business philosophy. They're changing uh, business model and how at this point, you know, they're not even really in the uh, Rashad Evans versus Lyoto Machida business anymore. They are they are mostly in the. Uh, quantity over quality business that the way that they get paid their money now is they put on a certain number of events for ESPN and ESPN plus. And uh, obviously they all, they have their pay-per-view business exclusively behind the paywall at ESPN and ESPN plus. But in order to fulfill those, those programming demands, they have something like 500 between 500 and 600 fighters 
under contract at any given time. And they're out there doing hashtag just some fights on most of the weekends. And it was not an easy transition for many of us who have been fans of this sport for a long time. So in many ways, I feel uh, Farron Hankinson's pain here. I feel like we kind of made peace with it, though, yeah. over time, especially now that it feels like uh, over the at least the last handful of pay-per-view events, like maybe the UFC had figured it out that they would that they would just really stack every pay-per-view event with two title fights and fights people wanted to see. And then the ESPN and ESPN plus shows would kind of be for the hardcores and whatever you wanted to watch of that was fine. And whatever you want to not watch of it is also fine. So I feel in some ways like I've made peace with it, but I do kind of in my heart of hearts still pine for the days when I could look at a UFC card from top to bottom, both prelims and uh, the main main card stuff and know all of the fighters and be excited for all the fights. That's, that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. But I feel like at this point I have figured out how I, how it works for me to do it. And it has impacted the way I watch and the way I apportion my attention. But now that I have sort of come to terms with that and learned how best to do it, I, I don't have a problem with it. Especially if, if we're saving the really good stuff for the pay-per-views. So if we're loading up, the premium content on the thing that you're asking me to pay premium prices for, then it makes sense. I I completely get that logic. And you have this other stuff where you're sort of, as the UFC executives of past have described other fighters, you're trying to treat them all as penny stocks. You're not paying much for them. You're going to throw them out there. Uh, one One out of 30 or 40 or 50 of them become a thing. That works out. In the meantime, you're just creating a ton of content to sell to your TV partners and you're making a killing doing it. And that's the model. I've I've made my peace with that. But it also means that when you have one of these kind of events where it's a fight night event that starts, you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon here on a Saturday, uh, I don't need to be in my seat for all of that, especially because I know how much filler there is on a UFC broadcast for these kind of events. You're just going to end up sitting through a ton of stuff that is not fighting and a lot of the fighting that you're going to get to is going to be people you've never heard of before and who you may never hear of again. And the only reason a lot of them are being treated like this is important stuff that we all need to be watching and talking about is because they're signed to the UFC. When really, I mean, if, if the UFC suddenly signed twice as many people and the roster you know, grew like overnight, it wouldn't mean that there are that many more fighters who matter in the sport. It would just mean that the UFC had figured out a way to work with that many fighters. And so I'm watching Twitter every once in a while. I'm going about my normal Saturday routine. The stuff I want to get done, I'm getting done. I'm I'm keeping an eye on it. If if people are like, hey, this fight is good. If I'm not doing anything, I'll I'll turn on ESPN Plus and I can jump right in and watch. Sometimes I'll just make a note to go back and watch it later. But then if I want to be, if I say like, all right, I want to catch the top two or three fights. I'll kind of keep an eye on how the night is progressing so that I can tune in for that. It's exactly how I did this one, and it works out fine for me. You just kind of kind of know it's not all appointment viewing, and maybe that's fine. Yeah. And maybe the problem was uh, maybe Farron sat down here and tried to watch this event the old school way. Thought he was going to watch all of the uh, the prelims here and roll straight through to the to the main event. And I think the secret is you just got to know yourself. 
Like you just, like you just said, you got to be honest with yourself about your own level of interest. If you are a total shit eating wild man and you want to watch every fight from the opening prelim to the main event, totally fine. Go ahead and do that. But again, if you want to take a different approach, like Ben folks, like I do a lot of the time, you just come in and, and, and watch the fights that you're interested in. And that's it. Don't don't feel pressured or compelled to watch the rest of it. You got to you got to kind of let some of that other stuff go unwatched. And the other thing that I would add to that is just to say kind of the beauty of ESPN Plus, in my opinion, is that it's real easy to go back and rewatch anything you miss just because of how the app is set up. You can find the whole main card. You can find the individual uh, fights broken out if you just want to go and watch those individually, although, you know, you can look at how long the video is and be like, oh, this fight goes the distance. It's a 40 minute video, <laughs> right? Uh, so some of that is is spoilers. But like, if you want to just fire up the main card, if you want to stay spoiler free, come in on Sunday morning, fire up the main card and kind of go through and just watch what you're interested in. It's pretty easy to do, yeah. frankly, on ESPN Plus. So a lot of this has changed the way uh, that we cover the sport and the way we watch the sport. But after years and years of kind of rebelling against it mentally and 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 uh sometimes i still do but i've I've honestly kind of made peace with it this is just where we are this is how you gotta got to watch it you got to figure out your own strategy to watch it and the main thing is we're not going back there's not a scenario out there unless the relationship between the ufc and any of its broadcast partners just completely falls apart and he maybe even not then, but there's no scenario where you go back to how it was before. This is just the animal that exists now and we have to deal with it. Yeah. And I still think that there's a value in when there's a big fight night, like a big pay-per-view, uh, you know, like when we had that Francis Ngannou, Cyril Gan fight uh, or this one coming up even where there is a, a value to sitting there watching it live and talking with your friends online as it's happening. Like that is a, a part of the experience and I understand, but why that is a fun part of it that you don't get if you're just catching up with it on Sunday morning, but they're not all like that. You can miss some of these and you, you can, there's a special joy to going back and being like, I want to watch this 15 minute fight, but I don't want to sit through a ton of ads and a ton of uh, pre and post fight talking in order to get there. You could just roll in Sunday morning with coffee and a donut and that shit will only take you 15 minutes. And it is a pleasure. Let me tell you, it's a real pleasure. When I sit down to watch it, I just tell myself I'm only going to watch the post Malone Jägermeister commercial three times. Once you and once you hit three, you're like, well, all right, I'm at my limit. Now I'm fast forwarding through shit. After that, I'm skipping right through it. Uh, we got one more here. I want to squeeze in from Hear Word of the Wake. Whoa. I'm sorry, what? This message comes to us from Hear Word the Wake. Okay, I don't understand anything that's happening, but go ahead. Hear Word the Wake writes, As a follow-up to last week's topic of possibly starting a round as it ended, meaning we wouldn't start every round on the feet. You remember this last week, yes. Ben? Someone proposed yes. to us that if a fight, if a round ended with someone on the ground, maybe we start the next round on the ground as well. So here is Hear Word the Wake rolling up with his or her own suggestion. I have this suggestion. Football, in parentheses, soccer styled rounds. For example, fighter A has fighter B in full mount with four seconds left in the round. However, the round will only end when there is a lull in the action, prompting either fighter from continuing 
to seek a finish rather than giving up any strike submission attempt because they know the round is about to end. Additionally, any breaks for illegal strikes and fouls should be added to the end of the round a la injury time. Okay. Thoughts. Now, what do you think? What do you make of this? Like, if you let's say you got somebody, let's say you got somebody in the rear naked choke and the round would otherwise end. But this is like this is like stoppage time, kind of. If something exciting is going on, we keep it going. We keep the round going until the ref can get in there and make a judgment call like, hey, man, nothing's going to happen here. Let's go to the round break. First of all, I do appreciate hearing from Anglo-Saxon nobleman and leader of local resistance to the Norman conquest of England, Hereward the Wake. So an outside-the-box thinker from the start. Do you know, Chad, that there was a... 1866 historical novel by Charles Kingsley about Hereward the Wake. You want to know what it was called? Was it called Hereward the Wake? It was called Hereward the Wake. Last of the English. So Great to hear this week from Hereward the Wake. Yep. Um, I, I always love how when I'm watching like a soccer game, they do the stoppage time and I'm like, so we all accept that they're kind of bullshitting on this, right? Because it always seems like the stoppage time, you know, they give you kind of a rough, rough estimate. Where they, it seems like somebody is shouting to the ref, being like, how much time are we adding on? And he just kind of goes, eh, four minutes. You know, it's never three minutes and 37 seconds. You know, it's never like four minutes, 11 seconds. It's like eh, three, four minutes, you know. But then also, we're going to kind of get to that point and he's going to look. It's like right after the ball is being cleared out of the danger zone and it's clear that 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 scoring chance is not going to develop anything, that's when the whistle blows. And so it's very much like we all have to come to terms with that we are bullshitting on the, even the idea that this is a timed event. It's, we're ballparking it, you know? If if something interesting is going on, we'll we'll, we'll give them a couple extra minutes, a few extra seconds to figure it out. If not, fuck it, let's go home. And... We think we have some shit we want to argue about now in MMA when it comes to referee stoppages or somebody sitting on the stool a couple seconds too long, spilling some ice in the corner to buy themselves a little. Let us add some shit like this, and then it's just chaos. Maybe it'll be wonderful chaos, but if you imagine if you're just out there like old school Diego Sanchez style spamming punch flurries that aren't landing just so that the referee will give you more time. And you know what? Imagine some MMA referees you've seen uh, over your years covering the sport. They could absolutely be convinced to be like, hell yeah, brother. Let's 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 go. Yeah, let's keep it. As long as you're throwing, I'm gonna give you time. The soccer soccer stuff, the soccer thing can be incredibly nerve wracking, right? If your team is out there clinging to a one goal lead and you got like four minutes of stoppage time and you keep looking at the clock and you keep being like, blow the damn whistle. When are we when are we getting out of here? It can be incredibly nerve wracking. And I think for that reason, this this wrinkle sounds kind of fun to me in some instances. And maybe you could do worse than to implement something like this if you were one of these uh, other organization barge fights, FC or backyard fights, kindergarten FC, whatever it may be. Uh, maybe you could do a lot worse than to say, hey, we're, we're going to have some stoppage time. We're going to we're going to have this thing where the round can keep going. Uh, I don't think you would ever see it in any of the major promotions. I don't know that you would ever see it in any of the, the like competent state athletic commissions. And it kind of makes me wonder like what indignities, what further indignities can we 
<laughs> impose on these fighters? Like what, what, what else could we do to them? You know what I mean? Like now the round doesn't even end when it's supposed to end. Like you're, you're preparing to fight three, five minute rounds, but maybe two of the rounds will be six, seven minutes long. If the action is real good, like, come on. Can you, what, 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 how much can we, can we impose on these people? Can you, really? you imagine Mike Beltran after a fight having to explain that he let this, this last round go nine minutes because it looked like one of the guys was setting up his feet for a spinning attack. He was waiting for him to spin. <laughs> he was like, I could yeah. tell it. He was going to spin at any moment. And I, I don't yeah. want to blow the horn. Guy's about to spin, man. Let's let's wait and but see Mike what happens. Mike Beltran is out there shouting, I want to see the spin, brother. <laughs> Don't keep me waiting, brother. Let's spin. A fun idea. Perhaps impractical. You know what? But here we're the wake is like a visionary kind of guy. Like he's not like he's he's gonna throw out some stuff for us to consider. And uh, I appreciate that we the discourse needs that kind of a figure. Yeah. No, I fully appreciate it. Thanks to outside the box thinker, the long dead. Here we're the wake for hitting us up this week. That is going to do it for listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern, you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com. You can't do it at this exact second because our website is down and has been most of the morning, but we're going to try to get it back up. And uh, then you'll be able to go there and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. If the website never comes back, you can always just hey, email whoa, us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just Cobain event podcast at gmail.com is the address, but we think we're going to get the website back. We think the website will be back, right? We're, we're confident. We're positive. Let's, we're keeping it positive. Let's work toward that end. Let's try to make sure the website comes back. Okay, you get on that, and then uh, get the website back. All right, as for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, a timely sixth straight victory for Sean Strickland in the UFC. The split decision win over Jack Hermanson on Saturday night at this fight night event. It puts him on at least a shortish list to be considered for an upcoming middleweight title shot. And with Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker about to do it again, brother, coming up this weekend at UFC 271. You could probably be in a lot worse places than where Sean Strickland finds himself as of this Monday in the wake of a good technical smart win. Yet once again, I feel like we have to confront the gulf between the Sean Strickland who shows up in interviews and comes to the press conference and the Sean Strickland who actually gets in the cage to fight. Because there is a difference. And like I said at the top of the show, normally... I would not sit here and deem to tell a guy how to fight. Kind of goes against my philosophy about this sport and what I like about it. But for Sean Strickland to do all these interviews about how he's a crazy psychopath and he wants to kill someone in the cage and basically he wants to spread their blood all over his face and bathe in their entrails and all this other stuff. And then to go out there and kind of dink and dunk around the edges and uh, secure a tepid, almost actionless decision win at the end of five rounds. 
It's just a disconnect for me there, man. Yeah. It's just a disconnect. And he seems aware of it. I mean, that's one of the redeeming qualities, I think, that he showed in the aftermath of this fight is that he is the first one to be like, that kind of sucked and I'm sorry. And I could have done more. Called himself a pussy several times, which... Well, he also called Jack Hermanson a pussy in the cage, so I'm glad I'm glad we're equal opportunity <laughs> applying that particular word back and forth here. But you're right, especially because it seemed like early on in this fight, he had established two things. One, Jack Hermanson couldn't take him down, at least with any uh, regularity, and then hope to keep him there. So he shuts down Jack Hermanson's main path to victory. And two is that he can stand at what is for him a comfortable range and just pick apart Jack Hermanson with single shots, a lot of jabs, his jab much, much better and sharper and and faster than Jack Hermanson's. And he's controlling the range and everything well enough that he's not a whole lot is getting through that Hermanson's throwing back at him. He's just, he's reaching out and stuffing a lot of these uh, attempts before Hermanson is even halfway into throwing the punch. And then when he does get through, Hermanson's coming up short, and he kind of can't get close enough to land anything on John Strickland without getting jabbed to death. And yet, once he establishes these things, he seems to have got in his head, well, here's an easy way I could win. I could just stay right here all night long, do this thing, and I win. And he was content to do it, at least until like the final 30 seconds of the fight. And then he decided, he remembered, oh yeah, I promised these people a bloodbath. Uh, and he explained his very reasonable thought process afterwards where he's like, you know, people start telling you, Hey, half your money depends on winning for one thing. That's an instance of the show win model disincentivizing interesting fights because the guy's thinking, Hey, I figured out, I don't have to take any risks to win this fight. Why would I wait in there? Maybe get knocked out and maybe lose half my paycheck just to put on a show for you. But also him feeling like, uh, hey, I'm climbing up the ranks a little bit. I'm fighting in a main event. People are paying attention to me. Maybe it's not so far away that I could be fighting for a title shot as long as I don't lose any of these. Because the winning streak is what I have to to show or to offer as evidence why I should be giving a title shot. If I If I give that away just trying to create some excitement, you know, what's the benefit to me long term? And so you can totally understand how somebody might given those things, arrive at the conclusion that I should stay here where I'm safe, jab the hell out of this guy and go home. Take very little damage in the process. And yet, your whole thing that you sold us on is that you are not a rational and reasonable person, but in fact, a bloodthirsty goddamn maniac. And so, you, you force us to confront that disconnect. And at the same time, he ends the fight by saying, I'm sorry, uh, here's what happened. I I let this stuff get in my head and I fought too safe. Won't happen again. Really? Because the fights are only going to get tougher as you climb up the ranks. As you're beating these guys, especially being in the main event, being somebody whose name we know, uh, putting together wins, the opponents are going to get tougher. So you're telling us you will get more reckless and less safe and you will fight dumber, basically, to give us a show against harder opponents. And yeah. you put yourself in a tough spot at that point. Yeah, and it's not like he was a stoppage mean machine before. Yeah, he He's doesn't have that one decisions. Power. He's got four decisions in his last five fights. And I mean, the truth is, Sean Strickland has a bunch of really positive qualities for a middleweight contender. He is obviously 
uh, in shape. He's got great cardio. He's got a hell of a jab. And he has the necessary skills to fight in this style. Like he had the takedown defense clearly to ward off Jack Hermanson's attempts. And that allows him to fight in this style and be successful. He has the, and it's possible. He's defensively sound. He does not get hit. I was just going to say it's possible. His best quality is his defense and his ability to control the distance. And his best quality may well be his movement to just sort of like both parry and slide away just a little bit from whatever Jack Romanson is throwing, throwing at his head. And that's terrific. Like that's almost everything you could ask for from a 185 pound fighter. But there are consequences, as we have said before, with all of these other guys, Chael Sonnen, Conor McGregor, uh, Colby Covington, all these other guys that adopt a a character outside the ring, that they go for a little bit more of a pro wrestling style promotion. There are consequences to that. You don't just get to do it and then do whatever you want. It's hard. That's why not everybody does it. Not everybody can be Chael Sonnen. Not everybody wants to be Conor McGregor 24 hours a day, even if it means you know, $300 million in the bank or whatever it is. It's it's not easy to do. We saw the face that Colby Covington made in the buffet line <laughs> when he was he thought he was off the clock yeah. and he's wearing his cargo shorts. Next thing you know, Kamar Usman's out there trying to start shit with him. And he's and he's basically like, look, man, like we're not we're we're off the clock. We're backstage right now. I'm trying to get uh sausage links and an and an omelet here. Trying to get like, those crab legs, son. You know, I'm not, I don't, the, Colby the Covington, thing, the person doesn't want to have to face the consequences of Colby Covington, the character. Right. And, and it's not like Sean Strickland has done it to that extent yet. But like the thing Sean Strickland has done talking about how he wants to kill someone in the cage and like he would very much like to see how it feels to murder someone. And he has tried to engineer himself into situations in his personal life where he could kill someone. He's got a just walking around gun and a go into the mailbox gun. And, you know, he's got to lift up the flapper in the toilet in his house to flush it like that. That sets certain expectations. And then when you go out there and fight the way Sean Strickland does, I wonder if some people look at it and they're like, huh, really? Like, this is not this is not what I thought we were going to get. Yeah. But at the same time, he's been successful. So you can't say that much about it. Yeah. And I mean, it was a, a like a smart game plan and a sound execution of that game plan. And, like, I don't know how many people would if they realized, oh, okay, I could just stand here and just poke at this guy with a broomstick, basically, and he can't get close enough to touch me most of the time unless I let him, unless I engage in the kind of fight that gives him a chance to win. Like, who would risk half their money for that? And yet, you know, you've really established this expectation, especially the way he was fighting down the stretch where it was like, you're clearly in command of this fight, and yet you're fighting like we're going to be here all night. Like, and there's just no sense of urgency, no sense of of really feeling like you need to turn up the offense at any point for any reason. And you can tell people, hey, I'm sorry, uh, that wasn't the fight I wanted to give you and it won't happen again only so many times. And then they'll stop believing you. And I think, though, the, the tough thing now is that Sean Strickland has painted himself into this corner where he has to come out in the next fight or two. And show people that he can back up all this talk about how he wants to go out there and maim somebody and feast on the marrow of their bones. But the fights are not going to get easier. Like the the matchups aren't going to get any easier. You climb up that that ranks and there's going to be people who can do more, who can threaten you with more and who can take advantage of those times when you are there to be hit. Yeah, this this win, I think, puts him in that that upper echelon of middleweight contenders. Like that's who... 
Jack Hermanson loses to, right? His previous wins, most recent previous wins are over Edmund Shabazi and Kelvin Gastelum. His losses were to Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. So top level championship contenders. And for Sean Strickland to beat him, I think he puts himself in that group. So you're right. He's going to have to fight somebody like that in his next fight. And, uh, he's going to, it's going to be more dangerous and who knows how that affects his, his approach to it. So we'll, we'll have to see, but all in all, a good win for the guy here on Saturday night. It's just not in keeping with uh, the character that he has presented to us all the other days of the week. I also do want to point out, though, that uh, Luke Thomas mentioned on Twitter after somebody brought it up to him that Sean Strickland is one of these fighters where he looks like he should be British. I saw that. And then someone else replied that, that that's the kind of content. That's our kind of content. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. And the, on, I, I the can't honest believe- truth is when I when I saw that tweet, I was like, you know what? He does kind yeah. of look British. I can't believe I didn't see it. Didn't see it for myself. He, if you just see him standing there, he looks like he should be British. Talking about like headbutting somebody in the mouth for Darren to say that like Leicester City is is, is better than Liverpool or something. And yet, then he opens his mouth and he is disappointingly not British. And yeah. I mean, it, that is the kind of observation I expect us to make. We we failed our audience. We will do better. We must do what better. if let's say the psychopath thing doesn't work out. What if Sean Strickland <laughs> just shows up for the next fight and he's British all of a sudden? Okay. And, you know, he's been talking about how he wants to drop Tarzan as his nickname, doesn't like it anymore. He says, keeps telling the UFC not to call him that anymore. And they keep calling him that. What if he, next time he's, he's Sean, the count Strickland <laughs> and he's out there with his British accent, come walking out to London calling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, calling everybody plonkers. Yeah. Talking about, uh, Th- this was always me accent, wasn't it? And we were like, Sean, wait, isn't it? You, you, isn't you, it you're doing it. And he's like, whoa, 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 what am I doing? You know, like <laughs> I, I, I'd be all for it. It's either that or if he's going to make a big change, he needs to have, he needs to become like the peaceful warrior. He's like, you know what? I had an epiphany. I went to therapy, mm-hmm. uh, went to like a, uh, one of those silent retreats, had an epiphany, did some ayahuasca. And now I want to win these fights uh, with while inflicting the least possible harm on my fellow man. And that's why I'm going to maintain the same exact fighting style. <laughs> All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, the UFC announced the Ultimate Fighter Season 30 yep. over the weekend, mm-hmm. featuring Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes as coaches. So I guess first off, 30 seasons, bud? (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? 30 seasons of this show with only the most minimal possible changes from season to season? You fucking kidding me, bud? That's ludicrous, frankly, (laughs) that we're still doing this. Uh, But that's not even my are you fucking kidding me? Okay. Because there was something specific that I wanted to call your attention to. Please do. And props, frankly, to our guy Grabaka Hitman for being the first to to figure out this mystery over on Twitter. So we're doing heavyweights and women's flyweights on this season. So already we're going to be hurting for depth, Uh, not the two (laughs) deepest divisions on the planet. And I have to 
admit when the big homie Aaron Bronstetter tweeted out the rosters of fighters and I was looking at the list going through the list uh Chandler Cole that sounds like a real person Jordan Heideman that sounds like a real person uh Mohamed Usman we know who that is of course that's Kamara Usman's brother Bobby Maximus wait what the fuck Bobby <laughs> Maximus that's not a real person no, Bobby Maximus come the fuck on do you know who this is I do now it turns out that Bobby Maximus is actually former UFC fighter Rob McDonald. Yeah. So you can't do who that. Who was a heavyweight, light heavyweight fighter. He put up a, like a, 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 an okay record in the UFC, but not great. And now he hasn't fought since 2009. He's 43 years old. 43. So you're going you're gonna to be out here selling me Rob McDonald as bobby maximus i mean are you fucking kidding me this actually makes me kind of interested in watching this show you you have 43 year old guy who hasn't fought since 2009 trying to remake himself as bobby freaking maximus come on you can't like that's you get kicked out of the bar you come back and they're like look bro we told you you're 86 and you're like no 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 rob mcdonald was 86 bobby maximus is here to party <laughs> <laughs> it's got you a fake ID. It says Bobby Jackson. You Maximus can't do that. How do you do that? How do you just be like, no, 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 I'm not that guy anymore. I'm this guy now, and I'm back. And they go, okay, well, uh, we need some bodies. I mean, the I think the best part of this is that he's fucking serious about this shit, man. Have you have you checked out BobbyMaximus.com? I'm sorry. What? This is not a new development, it would seem, in the life of Robert McDonald. It seems he has been going about billing himself as Bobby Maximus for some time now. Does he Go do to the porn? website, Does he Bobby do porn? Maximus. Tell me right now before I before He's I hit a, enter on bobbymaximus.com. I want to know what I'm looking at. Well, I'll into. be honest with you. It's it says up in the in the menu services and I haven't checked them all out yet. So I don't know what all the services are, but I think he's like a personal trainer. Hmm. And it's, it says, when Robert Bobby Maximus McDonald preaches his disdain for mediocrity, he means it. A glimpse at his, li- a glimpse at his life and accomplishments speak to his passion for dominating life and helping others do the same. Former UFC fighter? Check. Devoted family man? Absolutely. Dynamic speaker, instructor, and life coach? You know it. Total badass? Well, that's the understatement of the year. So I guess... Are you fucking kidding me? I am rapidly talking myself into Bobby Maximus over here. They're okay. Under one of the, the little headings here is learn. You click on that. And one of the options that comes up is Sunday sermons. Mm, Okay. So maybe we're doing a power team thing here with Bobby Maximus. Well, we, we were for a time. It seems like the last Sunday uh, sermon was posted May 31st, 2020. So that we were doing them pretty regularly for a while. Um, but then they are listed as uh, coming from the book of Bobby Maximus, verse 1, chapter 5. I, I, I hesitate to say Bobby Maximus has built himself up into a false prophet. <laughs> But it does kind of seem like we have a false prophet situation on our hands. I don't know. I mean, that's only going to carry you so far over there in the Ultimate Fighter house, though. Well, you need some fighters who are there to win the show, and you need other fighters who are there to make things interesting. I, I feel like I I'm I don't want to prejudge anything, but I might know which category to put 43-year-old Rob Bobby Maximus McDonald into. Fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me.
Bobby Maximus. I really didn't think I was going to learn about Hereward the Wake and Bobby <laughs> Maximus. On this. this is a lot for oh, me to process. This show can take you to wild places, man. That's why the people listen. I don't always want to go. I'll be honest. Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me this week? You know how you get me to click on a headline? Is when you just write something like, Henry Cejudo explains why he wore high heels at Eagle FC 44. Okay. I did see that there was some mockery it, taking place online about the lifts here's, that uh, here's Henry the thing, though. was wearing. I, I don't know why seeing this as a headline, I'm looking at Low Kick MMA, a story by Jordan Ellis. Seeing this as a headline, Henry Cejudo explains why he wore high heels at Eagle FC 44. When you put it like that, I'm like, oh, okay. So there's like a, there's a big backstory. Uh, and then I click on the thing. This, wait, wait, is the explanation because he's short? Is that why? I click on the thing. First of all, is the the quote comes from a recent episode of the Triple C and Schmos show. So that I, now I know that exists. The quote they said, "Listen, man, you can wear a little high top shoes, or we're going to give you an Apple box." So we ended up buying these shoes, and I was like, you know what? These shoes give me an extra two inches. I'm going to go with these shoes. So whichever way you want to cut, slice, and dice it, I was going to be on top of a box or I had to wear some two-inch shoes. So anyway, I went for the shoes. So (laughs) what you're telling me is the explanation. Henry Cejudo explains why he wore the high heels. Because they wanted him to be taller. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it. Are you fucking kidding me? That's on me for expecting more. (laughs) That's my fault. You know, I'm kidding me. I thought it was going to be a whole thing where he was going to be like, you know what? Uh, I was thinking about my grandmother my, who had passed and uh, she always wore high heels. Nope. It's just that they were like, eh, you're too short. We want you to be taller. And he was like, okay, I'll wear the high heels. Fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, to start round two here, I want to take you back to October 6th, 2019. You know where I was, Chad? Uh, Were you in Melbourne, Australia? I was at the Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia with like fucking 80,000 other people looking around confused as everybody else popped big for uh, Robert Knuckles's cold chisel entrance song. I was standing there with my mind fucking blown by Israel Adesanya's extremely extravagant dance routine where he walked to the cage. And then I watched in slack-jawed awe as Israel Adesanya just flattened Robert Whittaker. You know, sometimes it's a different experience when you're actually at the fight and you're, you're cage side, you're watching that. And sometimes, you know, the angle that you're watching from is worse than if you're watching it on TV and you don't get the same experience. You got to look up at the screen to even figure out what happened. This was one of those where it was the opposite of it because it was like uh, Israel Adesanya had his back to me. Robert Whitaker was facing me and you could see when Adesanya landed those clean blows and he landed one just right on the chin and I was close enough and with the right angle where I could see as soon as he landed it, I could look into Robert Whitaker's eyes and tell there was nobody home anymore. And knew that this one was just about over. 
and I, I like Robert Whitaker, and so it was it was tough. I was a little bit like, oh man, that that hurts for him, but also it's amazing for Israel Adesanya. Look how fucking good this guy is. Now that feels like it was five years ago. Feels like it was a long ass time ago. Robert Whitaker has gotten himself back here. Basically went out here and just by like process of elimination gave the UFC no other choice. He just kind of went around going, who else do you think you would like to have fight Israel Asanya? That guy? Okay, let me get up in here and beat him up first so you can tell it's wrong. And he he went through Darren Till, uh, Jared Cannonier, Kelvin Gastelum, and just looking for all the world like a very smart, capable, completely well-rounded fighter to the point where I, there's no other argument I think that you can make that somebody else deserves to get in there and fight Israel Adesanya. And yet, and yet, I find it difficult to talk myself into believing that it will be a significantly different fight. What kind of a fight are you expecting from this? Because there's some obvious problems you face if you're Robert Whitaker going in there against Israel Adesanya, and we saw them the first time. Yeah, I remember being surprised by how this initial fight went because... Back in those days, it's possible that conventional wisdom dictated that Robert Whitaker was going to be too well-rounded for Israel Adesanya as a mixed martial arts fighter. And then I remember being surprised when we saw them actually in the cage that Robert Whitaker's game plan seemed to be, I'm just going to rush in throwing bombs. And that didn't work out no. as it turned out. And I think you make a solid point that it feels like it was a long time ago. It was, what, two and a half years ago we did this thing about that? Something I mean, like it that? was the before times. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Um, and so a lot has changed. I'm not totally sure that those victories that you read off for uh, Robert Whitaker lead me to, to think he's, you know, the world beater. He's coming in as the favorite. But I feel like Robert Whitaker could approach this fight differently. He could do different stuff. He could... Uh, you know, at least try to do some of the stuff we saw the much larger Jan Blagovitz do at UFC 259 against Israel Adesanya when he tried to move up to light heavyweight. Maybe uh, try to play a little bit more wrestling. Maybe try to take the guy down. Maybe try to fight a little bit more your style of fight instead of just kind of charging in and hoping for the best. But Israel Adesanya is undefeated in the middleweight division and the champion for a reason. He has been very damn good and it is hard uh to impose that kind of game plan on him. So if I were a betting man, and indeed I am, I'm not sure that I could bring myself to bet against Israel Adesanya this week, despite the fact that I think Robert Whitaker is really, really good. He's got three wins in a row. And he might be the biggest threat at this point in the 185-pound division, the, the most, you know, the biggest immediate threat, which is kind of funny to say since Israel Adesanya has already defeated him. But... Don't underestimate. I guess I'm gonna. I guess I'm. I'm two facing this one. I'm saying on one hand, don't underestimate Robert Whitaker. On the other hand, it's hard to bet against Israel Adesanya right now. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I guess I'm. In, I don't want to say encouraged by, but at least uh, impressed by to some extent, is that Robert Whitaker seems like a guy with a lot of self awareness and who's been yeah. very honest leading up to this rematch. Where you know, we talked before about how. He was in one of those interviews saying that Israel Asanya was right when he said that uh, his e that 
Robert Whitaker's ego was getting the best of him and that he was getting in a weird headspace for that fight and it was going to affect the way he performed. And he said that that absolutely did happen by the way he tried to just like jump right in there and fire at the guy. And that he has taken stock of that loss and tried to learn from it and then come in with a, with a different game plan for this rematch. And like those are all the encouraging things you want to hear. If you were hoping to see a different result, if if he were saying before this fight, you know what? He just caught me. He was the better man that night or that morning, as it were, in Australia. That day. Like, he, he just got me once. But, you know what? I'm, I'm still the better fighter and I'm going to prove it. Then I think you would be like, uh oh, that doesn't sound like a guy who learned anything. But he does sound like he really reflected on that stuff. And he sounds in general like just a thoughtful fighter who uh, is really thinking about this game and about how to be the best at it. And yet at the same time, I go, the problem he had was dealing with the range, you know, that for one thing, I think as well as has a point when he's like, Oh, you think Jan Blahovich gave you a blueprint to beat me? Can you do that? Can you take me down and use that, that weight and that size on top of me when you don't have that size, you don't have those physical tools. What makes you think that you could follow that same game plan? And the same problem he had before was I remember being at that post-fight press conference and asking him, you know, it seemed like he was just sort of jumping in there. And then once he got in there, he had some problems and he was like, well, I got to deal with the range. Like how do I, you got to get close enough to hit the guy and you can't stand out there where he can hit you and you can't do anything back. And so that's how I was trying to deal with it. And that, that was not a great way to deal with it. But I don't know what the better way for him, given the physical realities of the fight would be. I mean, obviously you got to tell yourself something. You got to come up with some kind of plan. But then I'm sure he thought he had a plan the first time. Like, yeah. I don't know how you deal with that. Right. Well, and like you said, if there's anybody in the sport who seems like they could be counted upon to take a realistic view of the first fight, take stock of it, and try to do things different the second time around, it's probably Robert Whitaker. Like, there are it's perhaps no shortage of guys in this sport that could be that self-aware, but Robert Whitaker is certainly one of them. And then I guess that's the question. Physically, what can he do to try to keep up with Israel Adesanya? And that's going to be why we're going to watch the fight on Saturday. And I'm hoping that he can make it more competitive because I think that would be interesting to see Robert Whitaker be able to do some stuff, whether it be, you know, force the fight against the cage, try to uh, take him down a couple times to kind of try to smother that offense of Israel Adesanya, whatever he could do uh, to make the thing more interesting. Because like I said, Robert Whitaker is really, really good. He was the champion before Israel Adesanya, and we thought he was going to be the champion for a long time. And then, then the emergence of Israel Adesanya happened and kind of changed all those expectations. So uh, if there is a matchup in the middleweight division that I think it could be interesting, could be different from the first time around, this this is probably it. I just don't know physically what those answers will be. But luckily, I'm not Robert Whitaker's coach uh, because my idea would be punch him in the face, Rob. Would you give him the old Chad Dundas, you do you? Put your hands on him, Rob. You Wait, do you. Okay, is this the kind of fight where Robert Whitaker would benefit from doing him? Roughneck him, Rob. Does he need to do somebody else this time? I don't, I don't know. I don't have that answer. That's why we're going to watch on Saturday. Man, when even, when even the amazing coaching of Chad Dundas can't help you, you know you're in a tough fight. I mean, I would have given him a very inspiring book to mm-hmm. read during this training camp. Mm-hmm. Probably Hear Word the Wake. <laughs> and he would have read that and he would be full of confidence and uh, he'd be champing at the bit to get out there and win this title back. That's what I would bring to the table. 
And then I would look at uh, Eugene Behrman and I'd be like, coach, what you got? And then he would do the tactical stuff. I mean, what I hear you saying is that this can all be fixed with both uh, how we approach it and the literature we choose. Yeah, that's you, how you win. Okay. Okay. I think it would help if he could get six inches taller. That's my advice. And can see, we look into he... can we look into something where you get six inches taller, uh, gain, you know, six to eight inches of reach? Just that's uh I'm just throwing it out there. It's something to see, consider. See, that's why you can't get work. Because that's this kind of stuff that you. Would I have say. devised a series of poles and straps to stretch your body. Right. It's going to be painful. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be successful. You got to believe in the process, though. It's the thing. Before we before we move on, correct myself on a fact: Eugene Behrman is Israel Adesanya's coach, so I probably would not ask him. You do. I mean, do. I do feel like you would excel at the coach. What do you got? Aspect of cornering. <laughs> I feel like you're you're primed to do that part of it. Well, see, I could get up there and be like, do we want this? Like we're in between rounds. I could mm-hmm. be like, Bobby, do we want this? You want to win this fight? Need a little bit more determination. Need a little. We need to show all the work we did in the gym, buddy. We're here. It's fight night. Do you Coach, think, what do you got? Do you think at some point you might remind him that what we're looking at now is five minutes for the rest of your life? Yep, that's right. I need five strong minutes here, Bobby. Five minutes. Give them to me. You got to give them to me. This is what we need. Five minutes. We take that belt home, brother. Coach, what do you got? See, I could do that part. You could. You could. You were born to do that part. And then do a little Eric Nixick. Tell him, all right, get up. Give me a little bounce. Give me a little bounce, yeah. brother. Yeah, you sick fuck. Did you hear that? When Eric Nixick called Sean Strickland a sick fuck between rounds? <laughs> See, say what you want. Eric Nixick has excelled at the coaching aspect where he tailors his approach to the fighter. What does mm-hmm. he need? Sean Strickland yeah. needs to be reminded that he's a sick fuck. Francis Ngannou needs to be told to give us a little bounce, Bubba. Just a little yeah. bounce. That's right. That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, we told the story on the Power Hour last Friday, but I think it bears repeating here on the proper today. Uh, Tied to Ivasa by his own account was deep into his cups. He was on the piss, drunk as a skunk, when matchmaker Mick Maynard. This is a this is a tongue twister. Matchmaker UFC Mick matchmaker Mick Maynard texted him. Makes the matches that everybody wants to see. Basically, basically texted him, "You up?" and. Uh, the next morning, when Taito Ivaso woke up, he had to be reminded by some alerts on his phone. Not only did matchmaker Mick Maynard text him, but he texted him back. And it turned out he had agreed to fight Derek Lewis. So that's that's how we got here with Taito Ivasa versus Derek Lewis, your co-main event fight uh, for UFC 271 this weekend. An important heavyweight attraction and one that doesn't feel like it's been in the ether all that long feels like they signed it relatively uh recently and one that kind of snuck up on me i'll be honest when i looked at the card for this i was like oh holy shit this is Derek lewis and tied to ivasa i'm excited for it not only in what could be a rapidly changing landscape at heavyweight during 2022 but also just because two really likable dudes are going to go out there and give us an absolute banger 
So I got no problem with that either. Well, first of all, I think that this example of Tai Tuivasa's uh, reminds us that there was some wisdom in what Papa Hemingway told us, that always do sober what you said you do drunk, and that will teach, teach you to keep your mouth shut. So good thing for Tai Tuivasa, he is the same guy once he sobers up and wants to do the same shit as he did at 4.30 a.m., I think I could foresee a lot of people who might get a 4.30 offer to fight Derek Lewis and be like, hell yeah, I'll fight him. Fuck that guy. And then <laughs> once you sober up, you go, oh, shit. That's a terrible yeah. idea. Tai Tuivasa, same guy. Going to be the same guy whether it's 4.30 a.m. and he's had a couple few soda pops or whether, you know, hung over at 2 o'clock the next afternoon being like, oh, uh, shit, I agreed to fight Derek Lewis. Okay, hold on. Where are my shorts? You know, like... There's a value to being that same person, keeping that same energy. Uh, yeah. Also, though, the way things are shaping up and this fight coming when it does, I got to say, I keep, there's a part of me that keeps remembering your prediction of how Tai Tuivasa might end 2022 as some form of UFC heavyweight champion. And shit like this makes it all start to seem terrifyingly plausible. Because yeah, imagine, I mean, it's not unthinkable yeah. that we go in there and we're just throwing hammers at each other's heads and it's Tai Tuivasa who ends up being the guy who's left standing. That could happen. Yeah, it could absolutely happen. And right now, what exactly what we're going to do around the title if Francis Ngannou does indeed hold out this year and he decides to peace out the UFC and seek out greener pastures in boxing or anywhere else, all of that is theoretical at this point. We're talking, John Jones is out here tweeting saying mm -hmm. he would fight Stipe Miocic, maybe for an interim title if that's what it came down to. But that's all just there. Everybody's hashtag just saying stuff. It's all just talk yeah. at this point. We have no idea what the UFC would want to do. We have no idea uh, what they would do. We have no idea what they could afford to do because they've been tight with the purse strings recently. That's why Francis Ngannou might well walk away in the first place. And that's why we couldn't do Ngannou versus Jones. So are they going to be able to make a, a financial agreement with Stipe Miocic and John Jones? Where does Cyril gone fit into this whole, whole thing? Could he be in an interim title match at some point, maybe around the middle of the year? It's not out of the question that the person who wins the Derek Lewis tie to Ivasa fight could be a number one contender of sorts for whoever winds up winning that interim title or whatever you want to call it. Uh, crazier things can happen. And like we said earlier in the show, you're not dealing with the deepest division in the world here at heavyweight. So this is actually not only going to be a fun one, but I feel like it's a big, big fight in the landscape of this division for both guys. Cause who knows where the winner lands? We don't, we can't say right now. Yeah. Although I also feel like this is the kind of fight that I feel like Derek Lewis, like this version of Derek Lewis should win because he's not having to deal with somebody who is like a, technically way better striker than he is while he himself has really developed a lot of fight IQ that works within his own game I think we've seen that in his last few fights uh there's still some limitations like physically when he goes up against some of these guys who are the the, the taller longer uh, more technical strikers in the division I think he's still going to struggle against some of those guys no matter what but when you're going up against Tai Tuivasa there's a guy who just wants to come in there, plant his feet, and throw. There's not a whole lot to break down there. You know, it's it's a pretty simple plan, and you kind of know what you're dealing with. He's, he's not going to be completely reinventing his game when you get in there with him. And so, like, you kind of know what to expect, and I feel like this version of Derek Lewis has all the things that the other Derek Lewis had, but is also a little bit smarter. 
Like, I, it seems like this is the one Derek Lewis should win. Yeah, I mean, I think I haven't looked at the odds, but I think he's probably the betting favorite. And I he's think about he a two to the, one favorite right now. I think he's the betting favorite for a reason. But this is going to be one of those fights where there are going to be coin flip moments in this thing, because as smart as Derek Lewis is and as as much as he has improved as an MMA fighter and as high as his fight IQ has been the last couple of times we've seen him, he's also going to get suckered into some punching with Tai Tuivasa. Like yeah. that's going to happen in this fight. These guys are going to exchange blows at some point because it's just in both of their natures to do that. That's mainly the reason why both of them are in the UFC. And that is mainly the reason that they do this sport is to, to throw those bungalows and they're going to do it. And so when that happens, I feel like you do in fact have a 50, 50 type situation, a coin coin flip, uh, situation for the outcome here so it's you know this is a a heavyweight fight between a couple of bangers and we can talk it to death but uh it's kind of a a coin flip and nobody knows what's going to happen they start they start trading punches it's going to definitely be a whoever gets who first the worst ends up winning this thing yeah looking at the odds right now uh the odds for it to go over one and a half rounds the 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 enticing Prop bet that got me before. Plus, I know you love these. Plus one thirty-five under one and a half rounds. Minus one sixty-five. So you can get a minus one twenty-eight line that you will not hear. Round two, ready go. Yeah. And you know what? You can you can absolutely see what the odds makers are thinking there. Here are two guys who are just going to get in there, and it kind of seems like the first guy to land clean. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a secret. I don't think what either of these guys are going to do. And I'm looking forward to it. This is the, uh, you know, the co-main at UFC 271. And uh, it's probably the fight I'm looking forward to the most. Maybe just just a little bit short of this middleweight title fight that we just talked about. But uh, Derek Luce's versus Ty Tuivasa is going to be a big one. Of course, Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson is also on this card. You could well get your middleweight number number one contender from that fight. So uh, some interesting stuff on the card of UFC 271 not just the title fight. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts about Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa or anything else that's going to happen on this card? Or do you want to go straight to just saying stuff? Let's go to just saying stuff. All right, Ben folks, what's your just saying stuff this week? Chad, I'm just saying we have reached a point within the MMA bubble where it is very weird times. Anytime Joe Rogan is in the news. And he's been in the news uh, kind of surprising amount lately. Been in the news a lot lately. And for one thing, it's weird because the way I find out about it, the way I find out there's anything at all going on with Joe Rogan, is I see a bunch of MMA fighters tweeting angrily about how they will not allow Joe Rogan to be canceled. Hmm. And then I, of course, I immediately start going, whoa, what what happened? What's going on? Because last I checked, Joe Rogan was one of the most powerful and influential and well-paid voices in kind of all of media right now. So how do you, what, what's happening? How, in what form would you say the cancellation of him is taken? I'm like, I'm waking up expecting to find that Joe Rogan has been thrown in the gulag, Chad. Just completely cut off from all forms of communication. And instead, it seems like people are mad at him for things he's said. 
Yeah. And I He's go, having oh. to record a lot of videos to explain what had happened was lately. A lot of those. That's not a great place to be. Although, uh, as far as I know, he's still down there in Austin, Texas with a uh, nine-figure bank account or whatever it may be at this point. Does not seem in any meaningful way to be canceled. I'm also just saying, uh, saw a a tweet in response to all this, especially after this uh, clip came out that somebody had edited together. A, a bunch of instances of Joe Rogan over a course of many years saying the N-word. And uh, Ben Askren's response said if they could cancel Joe Rogan, they could cancel anybody. And I went, oh, I guess I just have to not accidentally say the N-word over the course of many years then. It has so far been quite easy for me to do that, though. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, Well, Ben, this week... This is not necessarily the most positive note to end to end the show on, but our our guy Chris Lieben got the COVIDs. I don't know if you saw this oh, on no. the internet. Had the COVIDs a while back, and it sounds like he's continuing to uh, suffer some complications from it. And has not been able to work or train uh, for any time in the recent past. Uh, we have both had some personal dealings with Chris Lieben. Obviously, everybody everybody knows the Crippler, one of the most colorful characters in this sport in its history. Uh, at this point, it doesn't seem like he's asking for money. It doesn't seem like he's trying to get a GoFundMe going or anything like that, but he wants the good vibes. He wants people to send him the good vibes. So if you're on social media and you have a history with Chris Lieben, who seems like one of the uh, good dudes in this sport from our dealings with him in the past, uh, find him on Instagram, find him on Twitter, give him a, give him a little, you know, a little positive feelings, a little reach out and, and, and tell him you enjoyed the work. And uh, you're rooting for him and you know he's going to he'll be back and better than ever in no time because it seems like uh, the crippler is having some some medical problems these days. So just saying, if you want to do something positive with your uh, with your social media time, hit up Chris Liebham. Let him know. Let him know that we love him and, and do something positive with those vibes of yours. Yeah. Vibe out positive like that's what he needs. It's the only so kind of vibe I have, honestly. I don't I'm... I don't even we keep any other vibes back around. And remove over 70 episodes of the co main event podcast because Ben Folks' vibes were too positive. Yeah. We're just like, you know what, man? This People can't handle this. These vibes are too positive. It's just. We fired Ben Folks next week, the debut of the Schmo main event podcast <laughs> featuring me and the Schmo. And Henry Cejudo for some reason. Yeah. Uh, we'll get him some. We'll get him an apple crate to stand on. I mean, come on, the bro, the, you can't even lay hands on an apple crate as easily as people act like you can. I mean, it's right, not like, Henry, it, Henry Cejudo's not the only short fighter out it's, here, it's man. It's not like, the I 1930s. Don't There's not apple crates just lining the alleyways. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I don't understand why he t- why he's the one. He takes so much guff for being short. Like, dude was a f- flyweight champion. Of course he's not huge. Come on. Let's find something else to make fun of Henry Cejudo about. I guess that's what I'm saying. The low hanging fruit. <laughs> well, the the vibes got notably less positive just now. <laughs> we don't want to have to cancel the whole show. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Check us out this week over on Patreon. We'll be back Wednesday for the live chat, Thursday with doing the damn thing, and Friday with the power hour. Thanks for listening to the proper. For right now, we're done. We're through. We're out. I mean, the good thing is if you decide, hey, I'll just buy these shoes give me an extra couple inches, then you have those to walk around. The Apple Break Temporary Solution. That's true. Yeah. I mean, those things you can break right through them. 
you're with apples in them. them. You're not going to fill them with apples. You're not going to want to carry it around with you, for sure, whereas the shoe is just more functional. That's more functional. It's a lot more noticeable if you're trying to get a couple of extra inches out of the apple tree than it is out of what, the shoes. Wouldn't it be a sweet burn, though, if Henry Cejudo showed up wearing his, his high heel lift shoes and it turned out everyone else on the broadcast was also wearing them? I mean, hey, if, if making a leaving you go out there in high heels, then Henry Cejudo can go out there in high heels, goddammit. We all can, right? We're not here to draw borders and close people off from what's possible. It would Wear be high heels. Chael Sonnen just standing on his tiptoes the whole time. Major dick move. I'm wearing high heels right now. You don't know I'm not. You can't see my feet. 